0: Who makes a better villain? Black Manta or Ocean Master? What's up Story Geeks, it's Justin Weaver. On today's podcast, screenwriter and journalist Mike Rowe and Scott Nicewander of NerdSync join me and Daryl Smith to dig deeper into Aquaman. This is episode three in our DCEU series Be sure to check out last week's Nerdfight episode on the best DCEU film, and coming up next week, we'll take a look at the future of DC films. Subscribe for free on your preferred podcast provider so you don't miss out. For articles written by Ashley Pauls and Anthony Holder, and to access all our premium content, including our Aftercasts, visit thestorygeeks.com. On today's Aftercast, the follow-up podcast to this one, You'll hear all four of us talk about what we'd like to see in an Aquaman sequel, as well as some other crazy topics. Thanks for listening in. The Story Geeks podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. Now it's time to dig
1: deeper into Aquaman. My man. All right, so we are here ready to talk about Aquaman. We're going to dig deeper into Aquaman. I'm here with Justin. Hello, Justin. Hello, Gerald. (laughs) And we have two guests with us tonight. We have an old pal and we have a new pal. So uh, let's start with our new pal. It's Mr. Mike Rowe, screenwriter and journalist. Welcome to the show, sir. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, why don't you talk a little bit about what you've been working on and where people can find you and all that good stuff.
2: Sure thing. Uh, well, my day gig is I work for a website LAist covering, I'm the arts and entertainment editor there, covering everything going on in the arts and entertainment worlds here in Los Angeles. And uh, in my spare time, my wife and I are a screenwriting team, and we write uh, TV scripts together. So uh, you can find us online. Uh, find me at, at Mike Rowe. I'm on Twitter. I'm, 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 I even have a little blue check mark. So uh, I'm pretty easy to find there. Sweet. You're official. Exactly. That's it's, what that means, uh, right? Nice. That's, uh, it, it means very little, but that's what it means. <laughs> <laughs> and then we
1: also have our old buddy, Scott Nicewander from Nerd saying, Scott, welcome back. Thank you
3: so much for having me. Are people sick of my voice yet?
1: Definitely not. Oh, thank goodness. Definitely not. Do we need to call you Scott Quiman for this? I think... Um, look, I wasn't going to beg you to but if you
3: feel <laughs> compelled to
1: i'm not gonna stop you uh i probably won't remember to do it so <laughs> i wouldn't i wouldn't get too hung up on it if i were you all right um, no, that's fine Scott- i'm
3: only incredibly disappointed
1: Okay, oh, that's <laughs> we're, we're friends now. I can deal with disappointing you. Um, talk a bit about NerdSync and where people can find what you're doing. Yeah, so I have a YouTube channel called uh, NerdSync.
3: Just crossed half a million subscribers. Super excited about that. Nice. Um, yeah, thank you. I, uh, I use comic books and superheroes to teach about real world history, science, philosophy, culture, and art. And I have not done many videos about Aquaman, and I feel like that is my best biggest shame in the world (laughs) are you just afraid to screw it up or what (laughs) i don't know that maybe that's it maybe it's just because i love him so much as a character that i feel like anything that i could do would never do it justice
1: Mm. (laughs) fair enough well i'm sure you'll get around to it eventually hopefully 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 Uh, Well, let's dive in. We're here to talk about Aquaman. We're going to dig deeper and talk about the themes in the movie, and maybe we're going to plant some that aren't there to begin with and read into it a whole bunch, because that's what we do. Um, But we'll start off real high level with just overall, what do you guys think of Aquaman? Scott, you're the big fan, so why don't we start with you?
3: Yes. The movie, the Aquaman movie.
1: I... Look, here's the thing. I...
3: I am not blind to its flaws. I see that it has a lot of areas where it could improve. However, as a big fan of the character, I walked away from this movie just absolutely loving it. I thought it was such a fun time in the theater. Uh, It was visually very interesting and very pretty to look at. Uh, and I thought just a lot of moments were very good. A lot of action pieces were great. A lot of character moments were very moving. And I don't know, I just, I love the character so much that it, any movie would be, it would be impossible for me. Not impossible, but it would be very, very difficult for them to make an Aquaman movie where I wouldn't be enthusiastically uh, excited and uh, entertained by it. So yes, overall, I loved it.
1: Cool, so you're completely objective so correct <laughs> yes I, I want to make that clear that is yeah.
3: the only correct response <laughs> yes. to this answer so Mike I'm excited to hear what you have to say yeah
2: Mike what do you think <laughs> uh you know I really enjoyed this you know I am a DC comics nerd I am definitely uh, a big fan of basically almost every DC character but I have not been the biggest fan of the DC uh, uh film universe uh, that's been going on I, I see uh a lot of great things about it I see the flaws. Um, But Aquaman, I really felt it was a move in a new direction, and uh, I thought it was just a lot of fun. You know, I definitely, I wouldn't say it's a good movie, but I would say it was a very enjoyable movie. Fair enough. Justin's nodding his head over here.
0: Yeah. I, I thought it was a really enjoyable movie, too. I just saw it for the first time in preparation for this podcast. Somehow it came and went from the theater, and I just hadn't made the time to see it. I walked away pretty indifferent to it. I was just kind of like, yeah, that, that was a movie. That was a superhero movie. <laughs> um, and so uh, I had fun watching it. Um, some good visuals. I feel like it had some Avatar kind of Pandora looking colors uh, and then almost some Tron feeling elements mm-hmm. to it. Um, but yeah, I'm al- I'm also more of a Marvel leaning fan, so I don't have the history uh, with Aquaman as a character that some of you guys have. So um, I also feel like I walked in in kind of a, an indifferent place to begin with.
1: Yeah. Most of Justin's DC fandom is just stuff that I've forced upon him. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm grateful for that. <laughs> um, I think I'm, I mean, I'm pretty much with you guys. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was super fun, too. Um, definitely flawed. Um, I think I tended to enjoy the stuff that happened on the land, more than the stuff that happened underwater, because mm-hmm. it was a little mm-hmm. more practical and less CGI. But um, that's not to negate the big old underwater Lord of the Rings battles. Those are cool, too. So Those are really fun. <laughs> um, how do you guys feel as an entry into the DCEU? This is, we're halfway through our DCEU series now. This is our third episode of four. And um, I'm curious how you feel about this one as part of that. Is it a step forward? Is it a step back? Um, Mike, why don't we
2: start with you on this one? I definitely thought it was a step forward. You can see them sort of brightening up the colors and trying to give more of that fun feel to it that I think that a lot of people have been complaining about the DC movies missing, uh, at least relative to the Marvel films. Um, You know, I think that it is... Uh, you can also feel DC pulling away, though, from tying it into the rest of the movies. So I think that you've got less of that uh, piece of it being part of a bigger world that you did the last couple of movies with Justice League and Batman versus Superman. Uh, but it sort—I of, think it did a really good job world-building and creating its own world. I really thought that the—you um, know—the way they set the different kingdoms and set up the whole sort of underwater world uh, made, me, made me interested in finding out more about it. Cool, Scott. What do you think?
3: Yeah, I think Mike's absolutely right. I think the the color palette was much more vibrant, which was uh, a welcome change for the DCEU. And it just felt more fun. And there definitely, there was maybe one or two references to other uh, DCEU films. Amira says something about uh, Aquaman helping defeat Steppenwolf, but really that's right. about it. And then the rest of the movie just stands on its own. Uh, which is great because Aquaman has so much rich lore as a character, and I really wanted them to just focus on him as a character and his entire world. There's a whole underwater world to Aquaman that has not been explored nearly as much, and the fact that they took an entire movie to do that and really, you know, pulled the reins back a little bit on like connecting it all together was uh, much needed, I think.
0: Yeah, I laughed a number of times when I wasn't really expecting to. Um, so just, I thought it was a little more lighthearted. Um, and I really liked that. And then someone mentioned it, that it felt like the Lord of the Rings, with the number of armies and the yep. size of the battles and everything. I oh, said yeah. that, but to be fair, I yeah. think I stole it from Scott from last time. We oh, talked about it's it. okay, I'll let you have it. I want yeah. that to spread around more. <laughs> um, but it felt that big. I was surprised by how big the world was.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think it's a good step forward. I don't think it's as big a step forward as a Wonder Woman or a Shazam, but yeah. definitely a step forward. I didn't ask you guys this question ahead of time, but to me it almost feels like Justice League, the movie, is holding these other movies back. Hmm. Does that? What do you guys think about that? Does it? Does it feel like a hindrance that it's even part of a shared universe, or do you wish that this stuff was just completely on its own?
2: I definitely agree with that. I mean, I was sort of glad that it feels like they're starting to pull back from that with Aquaman and Wishes. Am they sort of just letting these movies be their own movie? Yeah, uh, which I think uh, is is refreshing. Um, but you know, I, I think that Justice League they really. Uh, tried sort of jump-starting things and setting up all these other movies, but you just sort of left it feeling... Uh, it had this sort of drab color palette, and it's uh, I think that other than Flash, I don't know that it set up anything else that I was really excited to see afterward. Um, and I think that, it, on, by, by contrast, I thought Aquaman really set up a world that I'm more interested in um, by sort of largely ignoring Justice League and just going forward with its story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: Yeah, totally. I, You know, I mentioned that line about Mara talking about Steppenwolf, and to me, it's it's, it's almost like an Obi-Wan mentioning the Clone Wars sort of thing, where mm. it's like, yes, there technically is a movie about that <laughs> one line, but you don't have to watch yeah. it. It You're, just adds more... I not say
1: we've been missing it. Bob.
3: Yeah, and it just adds more <laughs> of, like, a lore to, like, the, oh, I wonder what that was about. You, know, you can just use your imagination. But, uh, yeah, I, I think certainly having it be more just standing on its own was uh definitely the right way to go for for this movie because yeah i I don't know
0: (laughs) yeah i'm i felt more excited to see an aquaman 2 than i did the next justice league movie after
3: this movie
1: yeah definitely yeah what do we think about jason momoa as aquaman scott you have strong feelings start us off on that
3: i love him I, uh, there are times when I wish his acting was a little bit more emotional, uh, specifically when he finds out, uh, am I allowed to say spoilers for Aquaman movie, I imagine? <laughs> yeah, I don't okay. think we
1: have to at this point, but okay. yes, go ahead and give the warning. <laughs>
3: uh, spoilers for Aquaman, when he meets his mom at Lana, uh, when she when he finds out that she's still alive, um, I wanted that to be really more uh, just more emotional and I don't know if Jason Momoa quite got to where I wanted it to be um, but I certainly think as he continues with this character uh, that it, hopefully if he continues with this character that it will just he will progressively get better and um, really hone into who Aquaman is uh, and kind of shape it as his own version of the character. And I was super skeptical about Jason Momoa when they first casted him, Um, but no, I totally, total about face. I think he's (laughs) fantastic, adds a completely new take on the character that I was apprehensive about, but now have grown to adore very much. He is your man. He's my man. All
1: right, <laughs>
2: Mike. What do you think? Uh, I feel like he's grown on me a lot. I really did not like him uh, at first uh, when I saw him in Justice League. He, he rubbed me the wrong way. I think that uh, I I think it was sort of taking my mind a while to adjust, uh, like focusing in on this new movie version of Aquaman. That's nothing like the comic book version. Um, But seeing the Aquaman film, I think my mind finally made that adjustment, and I really got into it. Like, I was like, they're, they're writing the character for Jason Momoa great. I feel like he did exactly what they asked him to do, and I thought that Jason Momoa being Jason Momoa is really fun. And that's what Aquaman is now, because that's what the movie says it is. So uh, <laughs> if, if I get past uh, what I'm hoping for from the comic book versions, I think that it's a, a really fun. I think that he, um, you know, I like his vibe in that context. And um, you also got to see some different shades of it with him transitioning uh, into the king role through this film, too. So it, it was a little bit more than I even anticipated. So, so I'm, I, I'm fine with him.
0: Yeah, it it took me a minute to get used to it because again, this isn't a character that I'm very familiar with, but what I do know of him is that he's a very earnest character. He feels a little more I don't know, simple like Superman or something in his uh, classic
1: uh, approach. You say earnest and simple. I think of like Ernest goes to camp. <laughs> oh, that, that's a different kind of simple. Yeah, no, totally.
0: But then when I started to think of the people I've seen in like Deadliest Catch or something like that, and what it would be like to live
1: with the ocean, um, it kind of made sense to me. So yeah, yeah it grew yeah. on me. Uh, it was weird for me at first because I hadn't really seen anything that he was in. I'd seen maybe a couple of old episodes of Baywatch and never watched Game of Thrones. So he was just sort of this big hulking dude that I didn't know if he had any talent or not. But I enjoyed him. I think maybe it's a little bit over broified for me. I think I'd like to see it taken a little bit more seriously. But we might get to that in in future films. So we'll see. Um, okay. In the beginning of the movie, after Arthur defeats Black Manta and his father, and he's about to leave the submarine that's sinking, his Black Manta's father is pinned up, and um, Black Manta yells at Aquaman and says, "Wait! You can't leave him here. Help me, please." And Arthur responds by saying, "You killed innocent people. Ask the sea for mercy." So. I loved this scene, personally. My question is, what do you think of that response, and is this how a hero should respond? Justin is chomping at the bit on this one, so go for it. I
0: (laughs) thought that was totally reasonable. I (laughs) I was like, absolutely, this guy's a bad guy. Um, It reminded me a lot of Batman Begins, when Batman tells Ra's al Ghul, like, I'm not gonna kill you, but I don't have to save you. So it made total sense to me that uh, he would not Actively save someone who was seeking to do harm for other people. Superman would have, but mm-hmm.
2: he's not Superman. Fair enough, Mike. What do you think? Uh, I it reminded me of that Batman Begins moment as well, but I hated it. Like I, uh, I didn't like it in Batman Begins either, where there's the explanation for why Batman lets Ra's al Ghul die. You know, I think it fits with the classic uh, movie. Uh, climax thing of, like, ultimate justice, but I I really felt that it made Aquaman's character come off as uh, callous and less heroic than I would have liked, but the thing that ultimately made it work for me was that this happens in the beginning of the movie instead of the end, like Batman Begins, and then uh, over the course of this film, we see Aquaman make basically the opposite choice in the end when he has to sort of decide on the Ocean Master's fate. He uh, goes the other way and, and spares his life. So I think that, uh I really think that's Aquaman's journey in this movie, and and um, that's that's what made this moment work for me in the end.
1: Scott, what do you think?
3: Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I think you know it's interesting you asked the question of is this here how a hero should respond. Uh, what Aquaman says and I think the answer for me is probably no but that is what creates character development for Aquaman he is not a hero at the beginning of the movie he doesn't want to be a hero he is out there protecting people who needs protecting but he doesn't really want to be known as the Aquaman or, or whatever so by the end of the film when they realize the people of Atlantis don't need any more, you know, kings, they need a hero. And Aquaman makes that, that um, uh, change. And he has his whole journey leading up to that moment. Uh, I think the fact that it started, the film started with this exchange, um, kind of helps make that a little bit more powerful. So yeah, I think it's, uh, I I didn't like it in the moment, but uh, as the whole, in the whole (laughs) of the movie, I thought it was uh, very interesting to see how the character would grow from there.
0: Yeah, um, they say a couple times in the movie, by bloodshed, do gods make their will known? Um, And I felt like, ultimately, that line ended up being um, a cop-out. Like, it's not my responsibility what happens now. Um, The gods are just choosing. So I feel like, in the end, yeah, that's his arc that he... Doesn't use that excuse like the Ocean
1: Master does. I guess that's my question too. Like, I love that scene. I loved that scene. I loved the fight between Atlanta and the soldiers from Atlantis. So when those were the first couple things we saw, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so floored for this movie. It's insane. <laughs> oh, but I her felt fight like
3: scene was amazing.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and I felt like after that point, uh, it sort of just wasn't as good. I feel like they didn't... For me, they didn't sufficiently come back to him having that attitude about just letting the guy die. I mean, Mike, you're right. He didn't let Ocean Master die. He didn't kill him. So that's definitely progress. But I sort of feel like it was a it was just sort of hanging out there and never got properly addressed when it could have been really cool if they had. Did you guys feel that way at all? Yeah,
2: I mean, I definitely agree with that. You know, I think that there is so much ground that they try covering in this movie that there are moments of character development that's you know, we get like a little glimpse at the sort of uh, character development that we could be having from Aquaman here, but they sort of have to move on to the next action set piece, to the next uh, one of the many realms that they have to explain. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, I felt like they were doing so much to try to set up this universe in this movie that, you know, you didn't linger that much in some of the character moments like that, that I think would have given it a little more depth.
3: Yeah, yeah and I agree too. I, I think one of the movie's biggest flaws for me. Um, like thematically is that it kind of almost lacks a th- like a cohesive theme. It has a lot of these bits and pieces of ideas that are never fully realized, in my opinion. And I think this might be one of those.
2: I mean, I think it's a, a bunch of different movies all in one. You know, you have uh, the uh, land stuff. You have the under-the-water stuff. You have basically like a horror movie that pops up in the middle with the yeah. trench. Oh, uh, then yeah. you have like an Indiana <laughs> Jones movie that pops up where he is going and, and uh, trying to get these relics and seeing holograms, which feels like uh, it, it's right out of that in, that sort of uh, adventure playbook. So it's tr- doing a lot in... It, to tonally all over the place. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, it's true. Um, Well, speaking of the hero, so the movie is about Aquaman's journey and his ascent to the throne of Atlantis and his journey to become a hero. But I personally am fascinated by these characters who are both heroes and rulers of their people. So we see that with Aquaman. We see it with Black Panther. We see it with Thor and a whole host of others so i'm curious what you guys think about aquaman specifically but also some of these other characters um what do you think of that balance between those two types of characters and where do you think their first loyalty should lie should it lie in being a superhero to the world or should it lie in being a ruler to their people and uh, scott why don't we start with you on this one
3: Oof! yeah this is a really really tough question uh, because I think we've seen um, we've seen a couple different answers from, from a lot of these ones. And I think ultimately it comes down to, specifically with Aquaman, the idea of, you know, the, the people of Atlantis don't want another king. They want uh, something bigger and better who, who stands for something a little bit more, and that would be a hero. And a hero, to me, is much more, expansive than a king a hero is more of a you know you know i have my people sure but i also just you know i want to take care of all of the people and so perhaps with aquaman and, and this is where kind of One of the flaws of the movie comes out to me where I wish there was a bit more of an epilogue because I kind of want to know what happens next after he becomes, (laughs) you know, the new leader of Atlantis. I want to know how 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 he rules, what he does, how people respond to that. And hopefully we'll get some of that in the future. But I don't know. I I think I think when it comes to these um, characters who are rulers and heroes, I I do think ultimately they do have um, this kind of. Uh, loyalty to their people. Thor, you mentioned, does so much in Ragnarok and even a couple Avengers films to try and just help his people survive. Uh, and yeah, there is that kind of tricky balance. But I think at the end of the day, if you are a ruler of people, you need those people to be able to depend on you. So I think. Uh, I, yeah, I think there is it, – it's so tough. I don't even know what the correct answer would be. But I, I do think ultimately if you are a ruler, yeah, you need your people to depend on you. So maybe okay. maybe the
1: balance shifts a little bit that way. We got one point for ruler. Mike, what do you say?
2: Um, you know, I think that – Uh, Aquaman, I think the thing that sort of sets him apart from those other characters classically is that he is more of the hero. Um, And I think that I'm curious to see which way they go with the future films. Um, You know, uh, I really love the first Thor movie version of Thor. He sort of transitions into a different thing, but that first movie is so much about... um, the the operatic uh, Shakespearean nature of these uh, uh, rulers clashing against one another with him and Loki and, and fighting for the throne of Odin, and I thought that that movie handled that beautifully. Uh, I think that you sort of I think split the difference really well with Black Panther. I think that he does a great job uh, both representing his people while going out and uh, representing to the world and, and doing things on behalf of everyone. Um, you know, I, I don't think we've really seen enough of what is going to do when he's sort of there with the larger world. You know, we saw Justice League, um, him going out and and doing a sort of universal uh, heroic duty, but we haven't seen him like now that he's sort of back in touch with his Atlantean roots, what he's going to do next.
0: Yeah, and I feel like that's where I am. I just don't have enough information now that he's (laughs) back in the ocean where he really hadn't been. Uh, We don't really know how that's going to affect him, how he's going to affect everyone there but yeah. there is a lot that he was saying about how the land and the ocean are one, And so it feels very much like he's moving toward a unification uh, where he would be caring for, uh, protecting, guarding, whatever, the world, not only Atlantis, but now he's king there. Now he's ocean master, but yeah. a good version. And so, yeah, I, I'm helmet. really curious
1: to see what will happen next. <laughs> yeah, I, I sort of agree with that. I, I don't know that we know enough yet. He certainly, He certainly hasn't gone on the sort of morality journey or moral itch journey of what a king should be like. Like, if you look at Thor and you look at Black Panther, they both struggle with that. They struggle with being a good man versus a good king and trying to live up to that role, and we haven't really seen Arthur do that. We've sort of seen him bro out on a big old journey (laughs) for a couple hours (laughs) and fight a bunch of monsters and then find his mom and find his brother and... Yeah, you're right, I, we sort of yeah. haven't seen it. It's interesting though, I was I was having dinner with my family earlier tonight, and I just decided to throw this question at them for no reason. And um, I have a six-year-old son, and his response was, well, they should be the king first. And I was like, why? And he's like, because they have to protect their own people. And I was like, that's pretty smart for a six-year-old. I was impressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my wife said something much deeper, of course. She's much deeper than I am. <laughs> <laughs> she said, um, uh, being a king is fine until the rule of law starts to get compromised and then you need heroes. Yeah. Which I thought was yeah, fascinating I love and better I than what th- I could come up with.
3: I think that's the entire purpose of like why superheroes were created in the first place, is people wanted to create these figures who were... Who could act outside of the law and, and right injustice injustices where where, you know, people felt like these things weren't getting done. These these wrongs weren't being righted. And so superheroes came along. You had Superman with his big, you know, he could do almost anything. And the all like the first stuff he was doing. He wasn't fighting aliens. He wasn't fighting monsters. He was just like beating up corrupt politicians. Mm. And uh making you know getting better working conditions for minors like these are just things that you wouldn't expect a superhero to do nowadays but that's the first stuff that they created superheroes for i mean I, I think,
2: think that the, the the just defending your people though seems like such sort of a humanistic view of what being a hero is you know i think that's what people still resonate with about somebody like superman is that you know he, his original people are dead and he still goes out there and and sacrifices and fights for everyone else and and goes on sort of a much larger view of uh of what he is defending i think that's um you know i think it's sort of a different level of hero and and um, something that sort of sets him apart
1: yeah Mm -hmm. by the way unintentional plug scott i know you didn't set me up for this but i'm going to say it anyway scott just released a video on superman a while Mm -hmm. ago and it is fantastic oh everybody should go check it out
3: Thank you. Could you tell that my whole big spiel just then was like ripped from one of my scripts? was it that obvious? <laughs> I watched it
1: very recently, so it was it was very fresh to me. So it, it definitely jogged my memory, which was good. Fantastic. So. No,
3: I trust me. I just I, I can speak eloquently from the top of my head.
1: <laughs> I, <yeah. laughs> and it's not like you haven't made a thousand Superman videos. Over yeah, here. that's true. Yeah. That certainly helps a lot. Right. Okay. Um, I need you guys to help me settle an argument. So Jay and I cannot agree on who the best villain in this movie is. I think it's Black Manta. He thinks it's Ocean Master. So I want you guys to help me figure this out. Justin, I'm going to start with you. Who is the best villain in this movie?
0: Okay, before I answer who's the best villain, I just feel like this should have been two different movies. <laughs> like, So yeah. I, I oh, think yeah. that this had to be so exposition heavy to set up what in the world ocean master would be and why it mattered and what all the kingdoms were i think it would have been great if we had more time to just ease into that because then i think i would say ocean master 100 percent it ties into everything about his past uh, the ocean itself um this whole part of his history that he doesn't know about Um, So I would have said Ocean Master if this were the second movie. Um, As a standalone, I think they set up from the beginning Black Manta better, Um, and I think visually he's kind of more interesting and fun. Um, So it's kind of a toss up for me. So ultimately I'd say Ocean Master because I think that entire story is more interesting to me. Um, But yeah, my cop out answer is it should have been two movies. All right.
1: (laughs) Mike, what do you think?
2: Uh, I definitely have to go with Black Manta. Uh, I think that he is so striking visually. You know, as a comic nerd, when I first saw Black Manta, before I even knew who he was, an Aquaman villain, I remember seeing him with, like, Legion of Doom, and thinking, that's a cool-looking character. It's... uh, And and then when you see, like, those eye blasts, I feel like that's so arresting. Um, You know, Ocean Master, most of what we see him doing is uh, making political deals, which is cool, but it's it's (laughs) hard to beat the cool of Black Manta. Plus, I think that you set up that tragic opening with him so well in the submarine scene um, that it kind of bummed me out that Black Manta wasn't the main villain of this movie. Um, You know, I I, I think, you know, we obviously get a tease in the post-credit sequence that we're going to get more Black Manta. uh, But, you know, I think that the the themes of this movie I think work better with Black Manta. I I I think that you know, going from that decision to leave him behind to ultimately sparing someone's life in the end is so powerful and um, I you know, I think that between that and just the, the cool factor of him, I gotta go Black Manta.
1: I appreciate you, Mike. It's nice to have someone
2: <laughs> in my corner. <laughs> Scott, what do you think?
1: Oh
3: this is it's so tough because I feel like they both were like they had, they both had a ton of potential to be incredible, mm-hmm. but the fact that the movie tried to put both of them in and give them almost equal um, like screen time to to make them this big villain, I, I don't, it just, it did feel like it was certainly meant to be two different movies. If I had to pick one, I do, you do. <laughs> and I do. <laughs> Daryl is yelling at me. Um, <laughs> no, I, if I had to pick one, I guess I would pick, I, I, I'd have to go with Black Mansa, just because, yeah, he's, he's super cool looking. Uh, I like the fact that uh, it is, you know, his action sequence, the, the big one, um, was probably the coolest one in the whole movie. Uh, between him and Arthur and, and all the other Goonies and, and Mera. And I thought that was so fun and so visually interesting. And I, I wish, I wish they gave him more time and, and more development. And obviously they set it up so that he's going to come back. But like, just just commit. Just do it. Just do it in the one movie. I love Ocean Master. I think he would have been great as a follow-up when you get more into the politics of Atlantis. Uh, or, you know, I don't even know. I, I just wish... I, I wish Either one of them was developed a little bit further, but as it stands, I'll go Black Manta.
1: So the official word is that Jay's wrong. (laughs) Right? Apparently Jay and Justin are wrong. Yes, well. (laughs) Was that the (laughs)
3: entire point of this podcast? (laughs) Uh, Mostly. uh, I'm not going to comment on that.
1: (laughs) Um, No, I agree with you. I think Black Manta is much more interesting. I have a problem with Patrick Wilson as Ocean Master. Um, yeah. I know he and James Wan have history together So I don't know if that was a friend casting or what But I just thought he was flat and uninteresting And I just didn't care about the things that he cared about But I did I- care about Black Manta
2: I thought there was going to be like another twist, like another example of his machinations to really get over what a cool political player the Ocean Master is. Like mm. I kept looking at uh, Willem Dafoe as Volko and being like, "When are you going to turn on everybody?" But it never yeah. happened, and because uh, he looks so evil. Yeah, he <laughs> always looks evil. But Willem it, Dafoe it, has resting villain face. Uh, but, see,
3: that yeah. was the twist. It was a double twist back on <laughs> us. Because who are we to judge? Yeah, apparently,
1: <laughs> Green Goblin's a good guy. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I, and you're right about the fight scenes, Scott, with Black Manta, like those were visually stunning oh, yeah. and beautiful, and are there any shots of Patrick Wilson out of the water? I,
3: There's not, I guess... and that gets into a big theme that I'm going to touch on in a bit, but continue. Okay, <laughs>
1: all right, all right, well, we'll get there then. Um, for now, let's talk about some supporting characters. So we talked a little bit about Volko already. Several people influence Arthur's overall journey. There's Volko, there's Atlanta, there's his father Tom Curry, there's Mira. Um, So I'm curious who you guys think had the biggest impact on Arthur as a hero. And Mike, why don't you start us on that
2: one? You know, I think that it sort of reminds me of like – you know, thinking about like Batman, like are his parents what influences the mo- him the most? Of course, but they don't have the sort of biggest ongoing relationship. I sort of see the same thing with uh, Arthur and his parents, and like you know, the, being the, the half man, half Atlantean, it really is. I think what makes Aquaman Aquaman, and what is the most powerful thing about his character. But you know, Volko is the one who trains him and who's there every step of the way. So I think that Volko has that sort of long lasting influence. So I sort of would go with him. Um, but you know, you wouldn't. You, you, he wouldn't be Aquaman without the Tom Curry and, and uh, Atlanta.
1: Fair enough, Justin. What do you think?
2: I was thinking Tom,
0: uh, with his abilities, um, Aquaman's abilities. He is so powerful, and especially in this depiction, he feels like a somewhat erratic personality. Mm. And I think with someone like his father to teach him the patience and the consistency and how much he admires that he walked out to the dock every morning and just waiting for his mom to come back um i think that he had a lifelong impact on him that yeah altered that he wasn't just a bro but yeah a bro with a heart of gold (laughs) a bro with a
1: heart of gold (laughs) (laughs) scott what do you think
3: Yeah, I think, you know, Volko was obviously the one who trained him, taught him how to use his powers, taught him a little bit about Atlanteans, um, and taught him that sweet trident spinning move that (laughs) saved the day in the end. Super sweet. Good stuff. However, if we're talking about just characters who have influenced his overall journey, then, you know, just the absence of his mom was a huge impact and influence on his life, even to the point where he hated Atlantis because of what... They, they did to her because he thought that they had killed her. Uh, specifically because of his own birth and, and their, you know, uh, her and his dad getting together. And uh, so I, I think just her being absent from his life was a huge
1: influence on who he is uh, as a character.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I have a weird answer to this question. We did. A while back, back in February, we did a Make It Better episode on this movie. And Scott, you were a part of that one as well. Was I? You were. You had to be. You're on oh, every time we talk fun. about Aquaman. It's kind of a rule. Thank um, you. And I think I said this then too, but I feel like Volko and Mira need to be switched in this movie because I feel like Volko has the the weight of an important character and the emotional impact on Arthur. But Mira is the one that actually gets to go through this whole journey with him and impact him through the process, and her character, I think, is boring and uninteresting and doesn't have any impact on him. So I wish that Volko was the one that was on the journey with Arthur. I realize that Arthur has to fall in love and get married to Mira and all that stuff, but uh, I just think that would have been a more interesting movie to me. I would have loved to have seen Volko throughout this whole process. Mm. And can
3: you imagine so. Willem Dafoe as Mera? Oh, <laughs> oh boy! Oh, boy. I'm, I'm I mean, he's a thespian now. Yeah, yes, <laughs> he is an actor.
1: <laughs> that might be the creepiest thing I've heard all day. <laughs> um, one of the big elements of the Aquaman mythology, both in the film and in the comics, is this idea of the conflict between the sea dwellers and the surface world. Um, I will be totally honest and say that I've never been particularly interested in this conflict, but I'm curious if you guys are, what interests you about it, and would you like to see it played out in future Aquaman films? Justin, why don't you start us on this one?
0: I was fascinated by uh, a slight theme of being environmentally conscious. If we dumped trash and pollution into Canada... They would respond to it, and maybe that would have caused Didn't us Didn't they do that to... on The Simpsons or something like that? I, I don't know. <laughs> it sounds like something South Park would do or something. Yeah. Um, so they would respond to it, and we may have addressed th- that issue in a more productive way faster. So just that element alone, just looking at pollution in that movie that there were some throwaway lines of like, well, they just threw it back at us, you know, and why didn't they do that earlier? Um, That was the most interesting thing about that conflict to me that we were invading their space with our trash and they didn't appreciate it. That was just fascinating to me. And it ties into um, a lot of environmentality talk and thinking that's happening now. So that was what was interesting to me about it. Cool. Scott, what do you think?
3: God, I want to talk about this forever. Okay. The, the thing that annoyed me the most about this film is that Orm makes this grand speech when Arthur is captured. He, he talks about how the surface world is, is just polluting their oceans and, and killing all their animals and, and people. And they need to do something about it. His whole plan is to like rally these armies together to go against the surface world because of all the pollution and everything. When Aquaman becomes king, that's still a problem. Like, <laughs> that never gets solved. And so, that to me, that's like, yes, you won, Arthur. You're clearly a, going to be a better, you know, ruler of Atlantis because you're not going to be as, you know, conniving as Orm. But he kind of has a point. Like, you mm-hmm. got to do something, Arthur. And so, I hope... I hope that's addressed in future films because it, it didn't get, it, there's no resolution to that. To that and I, I want there to be. So yes, I, 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 want, I, I do like that conflict um, and especially because they set it up and there's not a big payoff yet. And I want something to happen. I want something about this to matter. <laughs>
1: So what you're saying is you want Al Gore to make a cameo in Aquaman 2. Is that what I'm hearing?
3: Yeah, Al Gore should have been Volco if I'm being real <laughs> honest
1: with you. No, no.
2: <laughs> Uh okay interesting Mike what do you think I mean there's no way they're gonna address it anymore I think like <laughs> it was I think I agree that was a fascinating idea and I think they clearly didn't know what to do with it um you know I think it's maybe even sort of their nod towards something like you know in Black Panther we have uh, Killmonger is you know a lot of, a lot of people argue like Killmonger was right and I think those are the great villains is when you can make an argument for for them being right I don't think they nailed the landing on Ocean Master with this um, but. You know, at the same time, I I am usually not a fan in Aquaman stories of the uh, uh, Atlantis versus the surface thing. I think that's what makes uh, Aquaman different from Marvel's Namor the Submariner because I think that was. Uh, like the conflict between the sea and land is so much part of what Namor over Marvel is, and I think that they always did it better than they've ever been able to on the DC side. While Aquaman's always the guy holding people back from conflict, while uh, Namor sort of pushes everybody a little more closer to, to con- conflict uh, basically every chance he gets. Uh, so I, I think that in the context of an Aquaman story, I'd rather just focus on uh, him being a leader and not about... Um, you know, fighting the land. But I think Aquaman being that bridge that brings uh, land and sea together is what's what makes that character interesting.
1: Yeah. I think what it is for me is it feels very one-sided. Like, mm. I see why the Atlanteans would be in such an uproar over the pollution and the degradation of the oceans. But I feel like the surface dwellers wouldn't even know the Atlanteans existed. <laughs> and right. if, if Arthur just went up and said, hey, you guys are killing us by polluting the ocean, they'd go, oh, my bad. <laughs> and would make efforts to stop. Yeah, maybe Like, I don't know. Do I just don't it. see it being a war. It just... To like, continue yeah. to pollute. We're uh, so yeah. sold on this idea. It's like, yeah. uh, I don't know. So it, it almost makes it feel... Let, like if you're putting it in terms of a film, it makes it feel like less like a war film and more like a horror film almost, you know, like an invasion film, which then really villainizes the Atlanteans to me. And I don't want to villainize them because they are a race of beings that deserve to thrive just as much as the surface dwellers do. So I don't know. It's always been a weird, a weird conflict in my head.
3: Right. You know, especially with – you
2: know, th-
3: a lot of the it is, it is very tricky because like at a certain point, if you want to address it in a future movie, then Aquaman two becomes like Aquaman versus big business. And it's just like, that's not a movie that I want to see. I mean, do we just
2: make Aquaman into the captain planet at that point? Right. Exactly.
3: It gets tricky.
1: (laughs) I don't know, man. I, I, yeah, I, I really don't want to see that in a future film. I want to see more of a personal story for Arthur and you know, maybe maybe we can redeem the Ocean Master character a little bit and have him fight back and do
2: something interesting in a sequel. Mm. I think you I could address know. the environmental thing by personifying it. Like you said, I think that, you know, if you have a character that's really pushing for the, the human world to, to, you know, go after the oceans, I think that's always more interesting than just, you know, having a, a like a idea that the, the Atlanteans are facing, you know, I think that's sort of like what Iron Man did, but like Iron Monger, uh, the villain in that first Iron Man movie is he is, you know, pushing for war and he is like, a, it represents the warmongering idea um, so I think we need a character that can represent the idea in the Alchemy movies.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Maybe there's supposed to be a movie about the trench at some point, mm-hmm. right? They've been talking about that. Mm-hmm. Could that be the environmental backlash movie?
2: I and mean, maybe they're they, mutated could, because of all the uh, yeah. <laughs> pollution. Yeah, yeah, because
1: <laughs> yeah. they're supposed to be
2: scary. Mm-hmm. So
1: yeah, that's true. I like that. Who knows? I don't know. Um I know this, that I like to ask weird questions. <laughs> I like to get <laughs> at least one weird out there question into these shows, and I think I've stumbled onto quite a doozy this time. So here it is. Aquaman and Thor are definitely the two frat boyish bros of the DCEU and the MCU. So I'm curious, what if things were switched and we had Chris Hemsworth as Aquaman and Jason Momoa as Thor, do you guys think that that would improve these films or damage them? And the police have a lot to say about that. And <laughs> yeah, on. I was gonna say,
3: <laughs> you're under arrest for a yes. wild question. How dare you think about this stuff?
1: Cross casting. Um, Mike, why don't you start us off on that one?
2: Uh, when I saw this question, I love this idea. I. Uh, I, I think that they would both be really excellent at the other's role. You know, especially I think that Jason Momoa playing the Ragnarok version of Thor or or the really the Endgame version of Thor even more. I think he'd be perfect for that. Uh, that's the the broiest character even more so than he already is in this. Um, you know, I I I don't know how I feel about Jason Momoa doing like OG original movie Thor. I, I don't know that he would pull that off. That'd be I'd be interested to see how it would. Go though, um, you know, with Chris Hemsworth the other way. I think that uh, he, the, uh, it's clear that he wants to do comedy. That's where his like heart is. So I think that he would love doing the the comedic side of Aquaman. And we also know he has the chops to pull off the uh, sort of like uh, Shakespearean, uh, uh, you know, arts thou arts and so forth that are a part of the character as well. So I I, I love both his ideas. Cool,
1: Scott.
3: Yeah, I'm a hundred percent on board. I, I this question <laughs> yeah. has it, when I read this question, I I it's the only thing I could think about for hours. <laughs> so I want you to know. <laughs> <laughs> how much of my day was consumed by this question uh, and just thinking I about it. Because <laughs> I, I just kept imagining scenes from Thor in the MCU, but with Jason Momoa. And I, every time that he interacts with Star-Lord, I just want to see Jason mm-hmm. Momoa there. And it's just like, everyone's like, this is a man. And it's Jason Momoa. And it's like, yeah, it's a man. Oh, I don't know. I, I love, I love it. I love it. And I think, I think uh, having Thor there in specifically for this, uh, Aquaman, or sorry, having Chris Hemsworth, I just recall him Thor, um, having Chris Hemsworth he there as Aquaman for this specific Aquaman movie, um, he would have, uh, helped, I think we've seen that he is very good at those more quiet emotional moments, especially mm-hmm. a lot of his stuff in, um, the last couple of times he's been Thor, I think Endgame, and, uh. Uh, even Ragnarok had some like really nice, emotional, heartfelt moments, and I would have, uh, you know, like, when Aquaman meets his mom for the first time in, you know, basically his whole life, uh, it was very reminiscent to, like, Thor seeing his mom again for the first time in Endgame. Spoilers yeah. for Endgame, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, the Russo and brothers lifted the ban, so we're good. The- okay thank goodness uh and yeah and so i i think he would have brought some some good uh emotional depth to that part as well yeah i just i love this idea daryl you nailed it this is good
0: (laughs) (laughs) um i feel like i was just transplanting the looks as well as the characters so i was thinking of Thor one kind of wig and beard in Aquaman. And well, I'm like, he had you know the creepy
1: what? eyebrows in Thor one, so you should skip it. that one and go. And
0: off. I, but I want to know how that looks underwater. So <laughs> okay. it's like, um, and so I thought that that was a little closer to how I imagined the character. I mean, not a beard, but you know, blonde and all of that. So that's like a super shallow reason. That I was like, oh, that's kind of how, more how I was expecting the character to look. You know, just from the very little I know of the comics and everything. Um, And then I think Jason Momoa is more of, like, a Viking than Chris Hemsworth is. So, like, elements Mm -hmm. of that totally made sense to me. Um, But like you guys are pointing out, uh, Chris Hemsworth has a little more depth in some of his portrayals of emotion. So thinking about Infinity War and, like, the moment that he has with Rocket talking about how everyone in his life is dead... I, I don't want to give that to Jason Momoa yet. <laughs> I, I'm glad Chris Hemsworth had that.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was... I mean, obviously, when I wrote this question, I meant to be funny more than anything else, but the more I think about it... I, you know, like, Mike, you talked about Namor earlier, and it would seem natural to compare Aquaman to Namor and say that those are sort of the, the two representations of that character in Marvel and DC. But when I really think about it, Aquaman is Thor. Like, they really are very similar characters.
2: Yeah, you know, he's an underwater Thor. It's, uh... I think that there's a lot to be said for those similarities, and I think that, um... That's part of what has made both characters ones that have lasted. Is that they go back to you know, like Thor, you sort of have it on 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 the surface, the sort of Shakespearean thing, but those same themes are there with Aquaman, and that's I, I think what makes him powerful in, in the in the modern version of him. And uh, you know, I think that we keep wanting to hear stories like that, and and it's uh, something that, that really resonates.
1: Yeah. I, as I thought about this, about the casting swap, I realized I think I would rather have Chris Hemsworth in both roles. Mm, mm
2: -hmm.
1: I think that's where I'm at at the end of the day. And Scott, you mentioned um, interacting, I think it was you, you mentioned interacting with Star-Lord. Yeah. And they originally wanted Jason Momoa to play Drax before they had hired Dave Bautista.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I did not know that.
1: Yeah. So we almost had that. We almost had them arguing with each other. But, I mean, I love Dave Bautista I'd as Drax. Dave I wouldn't Batista. change that for the world. No. But, uh, but, um,
2: I'm still yeah. bummed out that we didn't get a, a bigger Drax moment with Thanos in Endgame. Mm. Yeah.
3: Right. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, in the first Guardians movie, that was like his closing line was like, "I'm, you know, I got to kill Thanos. Mm-hmm. He killed my yep. family.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think there were many characters that I would have wanted to see get a shot in on Thanos, mm-hmm. and it, eventually it just would have been the, <laughs> okay, everybody's getting the turn to hit Thanos, and then we'll move on. <laughs> um, yeah, I just I want Chris Hemsworth in both roles. I think Chris Hemsworth as Aquaman would have been amazing. Um, Momoa is great. I think Hemsworth would have been amazing, which is interesting because I don't think that Hemsworth is particularly good outside of the Thor character but Aquaman Ooh. would have worked.
2: I did really like Hemsworth in Ghostbusters, just being an idiot.
0: Fair enough. And I really liked him in Cabin in the Woods, but I mm-hmm. also just really liked Cabin in the Woods. You just really yeah, like Hemsworth. I do, I do. I was I do. say, like, I also
3: liked him in Cabin in the Woods, but like, I couldn't really give you a specific character trait mm-hmm. about, it. he's just yeah. like generic <laughs> man, <laughs> like, you know.
1: Uh, all right, I got one more question to throw at you guys. Um, superhero films typically come with some sort of morality tale or lesson attached to them, something for us to learn through watching it. Um, what is there for us to learn from the Aquaman film? Justin, do you want to kick us off on that one?
0: Yeah, I, we already touched on how there are a lot of ideas and a lot of different tones in this movie, so I feel like I could pick and choose from a number of different things, but the thing I am going to land on is just that um, even though the Seven Kingdoms all look different, even though there is a separation between the land and the sea, ultimately we're all the same. So um, I think that, I mean, not that it's hard to take, uh, you know, a strong stance against racism or anything like that, but just that people are people and we're we're all in this together so it kind of felt like that sort of was one of the messages that was coming across for me that the ocean and the land we're all one so um we should just act like that you know just in our world like the land (laughs) all of us we're all just one people
1: Mm. i like that mike what do you think
2: yeah, I mean, I think that it's true what was said earlier about this really sort of being two movies. I think that with each of the the two major villains, you get a different theme. Uh, with Ocean Master, I think it is about uh, cooperation, and you know, you sort of have the conflicting ideologies where Ocean Master is uh, trying to uh, turn everyone against each other and uh, uh, rule in sort of a dominant way and, and not have this collaborative thing, while you know, have Aquaman and the folks around him are sort of being more about leading by example and, um, you know, more of a cooperative uh, type of vibe. Uh, At the same time with Black Manta, I think you sort of have, uh, you know, part of the same growth theme to some extent, but really uh, Aquaman learning the the power of mercy in the end is sort of what I really felt coming through ultimately. Cool. Scott, what do you think?
3: So I have a couple um, that I think are really interesting. Um, I, I think... The movie shows uh, a little bit that leadership uh, should be earned, not given. Mm. Um, Orm obviously became king simply by birthright and by coincidence that Arthur uh, really wasn't around. And obviously the whole um, marriage between his parents was like not (coughs) okay with the Atlanteans. Um, Whereas Arthur became king in the end because he actually... um, earned it he went on this big adventure he got the trident by bargaining with julie andrews uh and he was able to beat orm in uh combat in the end even though and and of course did show mercy and didn't uh um you know kill him as is tradition so I, i think the movie has stuff to say about that but i also think the movie has a couple themes about um And just some messages about judging something without fully understanding it. Um, I think Mera judges the surface world, um, you know, hating on it, saying, you're like, how could you even like this place? It's just, it's not good. Before she's even really seen all of it. And by the time that she starts exploring more of it with Arthur, she starts to really... You know it's it starts to grow on her and same with arthur in return where he grew up really hating atlantis because of what they thought um because of what they did to his mom and uh once he got there and and started to understand a little bit more of it uh and started to see what it looked like and the people in it it started growing on him as well and orm this is what i was going to touch on earlier orm hates the surface world and refuses to even go there Every time that he interacts with Black Manta, it's always through one of those like water holograms. He wants to keep his distance so far from the surface world, but he has such strong opinions of it without ever actually going and seeing it and understanding it. And even his henchmen, when they're out in the surface world, they're all wearing these uh, suits of armor that are still flooded with ocean water as if they're, it's almost like a play on like seeing seeing from still their own perspective seeing through seeing the surface world through the ocean the lens of the ocean still without actually experiencing it firsthand and uh so i think there are some themes about that in there as well
1: i'm impressed you guys pulled out a lot of stuff <laughs> <laughs> i would have had a hard time answering this question because <laughs> um, i feel like there's a lot of Like the thing with Black Manta's father in the beginning of the film, I feel like there's a lot of things that sort of get started, but then not paid off. And so I'm kind of like, well, what am I supposed to latch onto? The one thing that I was definitely inspired by is um, the concept of loyalty, Mm -hmm. partially in Volko, but especially in Tom Curry, just in the fact that Mm -hmm. every day, every morning, he goes out to that pier and waits for Atlanta and it's not just that it's also how he treats Arthur he's there for Arthur no matter what and um I just think that example that Tom Curry gives us is really really good
2: I like this trend of great father figures in the last couple movies between him and like with Shazam with the adoptive family and how Uh warm that made me feel uh it's it's really hitting me in the the feels guys Mm -hmm. yeah
1: and Jonathan Kent and Mm Jor-El I think are both really great too yeah. Um, we didn't really see much from Zeus in Wonder Woman, so I don't know how good a dad he <laughs> no. is. Yeah,
3: You know, just from what I know about <laughs> Zeus from mythology, I'm going to go ahead and say he's a quality dude.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, guys, that's all the questions I have. Is there anything else that you've been itching to say about Aquaman that I have just not given you the chance to say yet? Anything anybody wants to throw out?
3: Uh, I, I just want to point out that that several times throughout this podcast we've mentioned that the character of Aquaman and the story of Aquaman has some depth, and nobody made a joke about that. And I'm very impressed uh, with all of
2: us. I, I mean, I think that it's, that's the power of this movie and what they've done with wow. this version of him is they've sort of stripped away the classic image of Aquaman and they uh, uh, you know maybe it took making him a bro to make people take Aquaman seriously. Uh, you know, if you just had the sort of like classic, maybe kinder, gentler Aquaman from uh, way back in the day, then uh, who who does communicate with uh, you know the the fish? Then that that pe- might have been harder for people to grab onto. So so maybe this is the right Aquaman for the right time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you're right, Scott. That there there could have been a depth joke. That's for sure. I just <laughs> couldn't fathom where a good point. To oh do that. no! I- <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> Uh,
0: One of the random things that I saw early in the movie was um, in Tom Curry's Lighthouse, there was an H.P. Lovecraft book. And I was just like, whoa, what's that (laughs) leading up to? And I think that was fundamentally leading up to The Trench. But, um, yeah, I was just fascinated by that overt placement. Um, And especially when we were hearing about if The Trench was going to be explored a little bit more in another movie. I thought that was a very – it was the most interesting of the kingdoms to me just because – it's so animalistic and uncontrollable. And then yet it joins sides with him in the end. So I'm endlessly curious about that place. Yeah. That's such yeah. a
2: visceral moment when the, the trench attack. You know, I, I think that we really got to feel the James Wan horror director vibes yeah. that yep. in that moment. Yeah. and it, it, it's it's weird too. I guess DC's using like horror film directors between them and you know Shazam too as the same thing. Uh, you know, you have these really scary moments because they have guys who know how to scare people.
3: Yep.
1: Yeah.
3: Absolutely. And that whole trench moment was just shot so beautifully mm-hmm. and has some of the yeah. best yeah. shots in in the film.
1: Yeah, I hope that really does come together. I would love to see more of that. Um, But for now, I think this wraps it up on our Aquaman discussion. Before we leave, Mike, remind everybody where they can find you. Uh,
2: Check me out at Mike Rowe on Twitter, M-I-K-E-R-O-E. I I post uh, the articles I write for LAist. I'm uh, uh, going out this week to cover Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. I'm going to be doing all sorts of different stuff, so follow me over there.
1: Ooh, that's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Scott's jealous. He's not here in California. So. I know, I'm very <laughs> jealous. <laughs> Complete opposite coast. Um, Scott, where can people find NerdSync and what you're doing?
3: Yeah, I mostly have a YouTube channel called NerdSync, N-E-R-D-S-Y-N-C. If you like learning about superheroes and comics and how they can teach us about real world history, science, philosophy, culture, and art, uh, go check it out. I post every other week, and it's been a lot of fun recently. Uh, And there's also just uh, my Twitter as well which is at NerdSync or my personal one where I have uh, just more silly jokes. It's Scott Niswander, S C O am I'm gonna go click subscribe. Thank you so much, I appreciate
1: that. 500,000 Woo! Guys, thank you for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure having both of you on.
3: Anytime. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah,
1: I mean, you give me an excuse to talk about
2: Aquaman? Come on.
1: <laughs> Happy to do it anytime we can. That's it for today's show. Special thanks to Mike Rowe and Scott Nicewander for joining us. As Justin mentioned at the top of the show, if you missed last week's Nerdfight on the best DCEU film, be sure to check it out on our podcast feed or on our blog at thestorygeeks.com. And don't miss next week's show on the future of DC Films. That's the conclusion to our DC EU series. So subscribe for free on your preferred podcast provider. And if you enjoyed today's show or any of the Story of Geeks podcasts, please share them. Share our show with a geek friend or review the Story of Geeks podcast on iTunes. That's incredibly helpful as well. So we're going to switch over to our aftercast now. I hope you'll join us for that as well. Mike and Scott will still be hanging out with us as we talk about what we want from an Aquaman sequel even more MCU, DCEU casting swaps, and so much more. Get more information on our Aftercast and all our other content over at thestorygeeks.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories, and always seek the truth. As always, we want to say a special thanks to the amazing people that help us produce the Story Geeks podcast by supporting us on Patreon, Anthony Holder, Adam Vargas, Bob Sherfield, Brianna, Bryce Cox, Connie Moe, Jessica Pritchett, Jim and Mary Baldwin, Joshua Beckham, Jer- Jeremy and Kimberly Legeau, Monty Thigpen, Nick Prokop, Ray DeLeon, Samuel Pelikin, and Wade Johnson. You guys are awesome. We love you. To gain access to our Aftercast and unlock more Patreon rewards or just support the show in general, please head over to thestorygeeks.com for more information.